0: For all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's- where you been? Listen, where I've been. I've been right here. Where you been? (laughs) No, actually, that's a legitimate question. Where have I been? We'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, hey, fam, what's happening? I am so excited to be back with you. First of all, I want to thank God for life and love. And I want to thank you for listening. It's been a little bit. Uh, I hope you're still enjoying um, our last episode, A Tale of Two Men. Uh, this week, I'm going to share a sermon from the same day. I preached two different sermons in the same day. Uh, I preach at our 9 a.m. service and at our 1030 service. Shameless plug for Crusade Christian Faith Center, my church. If you're ever in the L.A. area, particularly in Englewood, come say what's up. So at the 9 a.m., I preached another sermon for Father's Day, and that's what I'm going to share today. Um, But before I get into that, let me just catch you up on what's going on in my life, because there's a lot going on right now. So first of all, um, I am having a Holy Ghost summer. Um, not a hot boy summer. <laughs> That's for like 10 of you that'll get that joke. Um, no, it has been a hot boy summer, but, but a hot boy summer for my purpose. <laughs> um, hot boys are winning. Purpose boys are winning. Anyway, that's like for 10 of y'all. Most of my listeners probably won't even get that joke. So sorry. And also like that joke probably won't even be relevant in another three or four weeks because that's how social media moves on. That's a whole social media joke going on right now. The point is good things are happening. Okay. That's the whole headline. If you got the joke, great. If not, awkward. Good things are happening. I just got back from Essence Fest. I love the city of New Orleans and I love Essence Fest. I got the chance to go out and do something I love, which is uh, host and interact with people. Literally hosted the Disney booth for all three days and then at night got to go check out the city and the concerts and I was just in third heaven. I got the chance to meet some amazing people. Uh, I got the chance to meet the incredible Corinne Hawthorne, as well as Kira Kiki Sheard. So, you know, the church boy in me was freaking out. Um, I met guests from all across the country. I got the chance to interact with all the different segments of the Walt Disney Company. So spent time with Walt Disney Studios and Consumer Products and Marvel and ESPN and just had an amazing time. I got the chance to meet the Amours, who, if you are a fan of PJ Morton, then you know the Amours. They are his background singers, but they are their own entity. Those girls can sing, like, they can sang, sang. And, like, you know how everybody has, like, a celebrity crush? Like, uh, here I go, just telling on myself. Shayna, who's one of the Amours, is, like, one of my vocal celebrity crushes. She just sang and, like, swag on a thousand. I was like, oh, my God. But you'd be happy to know. I played it cool. I was just like, hey, you all of the Amores, listen, I got a chance to catch you all last night with with PJ. Y'all are so phenomenal. Congrats on your. Yeah, I was just, y'all would be proud of you, boy. I was real cool. when inside, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Jesus. <laughs> so, anyway, that happened. That was cool. I saw Frankie Beverly Amazed for the first time live. And so I feel like I'm forever black now. Like, you could just never. Uh, revoke my black card because I saw Frankie Beverly and Mace. Like, I didn't wear all white, though. I kind of made that mistake. I didn't wear all white. So it was awkward. I saw Missy Elliott. What a, what a treasure. What a national treasure. She's just amazing. Who else did I see? PJ Morton recorded his live recording there. I did not get to see Gospel Day because I was hosting, like, while they were doing that. And so the church boy in me was sad. Like, oh my God. What's happening with this mic? There we go. Let's adjust that. Uh, I didn't get to see them. So I was like, uh tears, but saw so many people. Essence was amazing, and I got to live my dreams, and um, I'm just so fortunate to be blessed to work for this amazing company and to have the opportunity to um, utilize my gifts while I do that. At the same token, as we talk about the incredible company and Disney, um, this weekend, probably by the time you hear this episode, I'll be in Detroit, Michigan, July 19th and 20th. Um, I'll be facilitating a workshop on public speaking, The Power of Your Story. It's going to be called Speak Up, How to Own Your Story and Tell It in a Way That Matters. Uh, And I'm going to present that on behalf of Disney and Brand Princeton, which is so cool. At the NAACP National AXO Convention. So, if you've never heard of AXO, it's an incredible competition. And uh, yeah, I got a chance to compete back in 2010, I think. And I won the gold medal for oratory, soups excited. And so, now to be able to go back, like, as the speaker I am today and working for the company on behalf of the company and the diversity inclusion team and Dreamers Academy is just huge. So, that's going on this weekend. I'm preaching in Minnesota. At the end of the month. And so if you live in Minnesota, catch me July uh, 28th, 29th, and the 30th. I'm literally going to be preaching like four different times. So um, catch me out there. That's going to be a ton of fun. And also... I am going to Atlanta for a couple weeks. So if you're going to be at the Jude 3 conference, I'll be there. And then if you're going to be at the Young Leaders Conference, I'll be there. I'm just going for a time of personal enrichment. I'm going to have some fun while I'm out there and uh, get my whole life. So that's my life. What else, Princeton? Are you missing something? Oh, yes, I am. Okay, so here's the big thing. The last weekend in August, because people be hitting me up all the time be like, you don't ever tell us when you're doing nothing until you posting it after it's over. So here I go. The last weekend in August, August 24th and 25th, I, listen, if you're anywhere in LA, I need you to be there. It's going to be at my church, Crusade Christian Faith Center. We're celebrating one year of the refreshing, one year of this youth and young adult ministry that was birthed this time last year. So um, Saturday, we're having a church picnic. Sunday's a huge day. I'm going to preach again the anxiety series. I'm keeping that going all year. So if you haven't been there live, you need to be there for this. We're really digging into this subject and figuring out how to live whole healthy lives as believers um, who care about our mental health. Then at 1030, it's going to go up. I'm going to be preaching that service too. So I'm preaching twice that morning. And I have a word from the Lord to cast vision for what I believe is the next year of our church, the next year of our young adult ministry, and what I believe will be the next year of your life. And so I'm already praying. I'm like eight weeks ahead of myself. I'm already planning that message. And I haven't even preached the ones I'm supposed to preach this Sunday. So that's going to be wild. But that night, Sunday, August 25th, Sunday, August 25th, Sunday, August 25th, Sunday, August 25th, you got to be in there. We're having a night service and um, we're doing a concert called The Gospel According to the 90s. Listen, 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 listen. As a matter of fact, right now I'm recording this at 1228 a.m. Tuesday morning. I need to go to bed because I have to be at work early. But the reason why I'm up so late is because I literally spent all day finishing the production um, sheet for that concert. It's going to be more than 40 songs. We have a special guest artist that I'll tell you next week at some point. It Listen, just come, okay? Just come. Just come, Bring, drink some water, take a nap before, <laughs> put your dancing shoes on. Come, re- It's going to be one of those like dance, cry, jump, shout, cry, speak in tongues. It's going to be one of them, okay? Sunday, August 25th. Just come hang out with me all day, please. Is that too much to ask? okay, I don't want to be annoying, but like, you never come visit me. We do this whole thing, long distance, like you're over there and I'm over here. And I really want us to start being public. You know, why, why am I your secret podcast preacher, bae? Okay. This just got weird. Anyway. Okay. on to the sermon. I've talked way too long already. And now you're going to listen to me talk for 41 minutes. You're a real one. You must really either have nothing else to do with your life or just enjoy what God has to say through me. (laughs) Okay, I'm done playing. Here we go. This message is called fatherless faith. Fatherless faith. Here's the whole premise. Most of us struggle in our belief with God because of the ways that our parents misrepresented God. And part of the healing to your life is when you learn that God is not a man. It doesn't just mean that God's not a man as far as a quote unquote gendered man, which I unpack in this sermon, but God's not whatever or whoever hurt you. And if we're going to proceed in our faith walk, we have to get to a point where we can see God for God and learn God for God and engage with God for God and not hold God hostage because of how people misrepresented him. This word is going to be life changing for you. Stay tuned. Here it is. The message I preached on Father's Day called fatherless faith grab your bibles we're going to do some work this morning i believe that there is a word from the lord today um, that is going to hopefully equip us to think a little bit differently about our journey, And I'm excited about what God is going to do. I'm excited about God meeting us here. And so what I want you to do is I want you to find two passages of scriptures. Okay. The first we're going to look at Psalm 23. I've preached this passage before, um, but the Lord allowed me to see it in a new light in relation to what we're going to talk about today. Um, and then I need us to look at uh, Romans 8. And I believe I'm probably going to start Mm, at verse 12 okay Psalm 23 and Romans 8 and 12 and then I'll tell you what we're preaching about this morning I'm so glad to see every single one of you. This is such an honor Um, as I stand in support uh, of our bishop this morning who uh, is traveling and we are praying for him and for Pastor Jerry. I'm glad and I'll talk more about it at 1030, but uh, I'm glad to celebrate my spiritual father today, our spiritual father, Bishop Virgil Patterson. There is none like him. And I am so excited to be a spiritual son. I'm so excited to carry the spiritual DNA, to be a mantle carrier of his. And it means so much that he would trust me with this moment while he's out of town. And so we're going to honor him. We're going to take care of home till mom and dad get back. And ain't nobody going to be tripping. Is that right? Yeah. Hallelujah. That's, that's all our job is to make sure ain't nothing broke. And that we did what we were supposed to do. And so we're going to do that. I honor God and I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, Bishop, but I was so glad we were texting this morning as I was uh, on my way here and we were just kind of catching up and agreeing about what we wanted the Lord to do in service today. And so I believe that as we have agreed, you're going to come into something great. All right. Let's look at Psalm 23. Uh, Again, I'll talk about this more at 1030 as well, but happy Father's Day. And because of the way that I look at just the way we do church, I believe that we should do our best to preach in conversation with what's going on. And so um, I was like, Father, God, this is a very interesting day for me to preach on Father's Day, not being a father. But I believe that what I will share from my seat in life as a son and as someone who was growing up at both services will be beneficial. So we're going to talk about something related to uh, fatherhood and the experience of it, uh, but in a different way. Let's look at Psalm 23, familiar pastor scripture. David writes these words, the Lord is my what? okay great y'all went to sunday school growing up i love it this is a great class already the lord is my what fantastic i shall not want now that word shepherd is going to be important coming a little later he maketh me to lie down in green pastures he leadeth me beside still waters he restoreth my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake watch this yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of what Death. death i will fear no evil for thou art what with me, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. Now thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's going to be super important. That'll be where we end our time today. All right. I'll talk about why that's important at the very end. Where we're going to start our time today is in this scripture in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans chapter eight, verse 12 says this. Paul is writing and he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, meaning that what guides me is not my fleshly desires, not my fleshly emotions, not my fleshly pursuits, not my fleshly ways of thinking. For if we live after the flesh, then we shall do what? Then we will die. If my flesh guides my entire way of viewing the world, eventually the end result that I will come to is death. Watch this. But if he through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, if I through the spirit cause my flesh to be an ejection and be like, hey, look, I notice how you feel, but this ain't going to be the way we go. All right. If I do that through the spirit, then I will live. Watch this. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the what of God. All right. Say that a little louder. They are the what? Sons Sons of God. Okay. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry. Say those two words. Abba, Father. It's going to be very interesting. This morning, I want to preach from the subject fatherless faith. I want you to write that down in your notes. Fatherless faith. I want to talk about fatherless faith. In research, we record a growing number of people who one way or another don't believe in God anymore. There are some that started out believing in God, and no longer do there are some who have grown up identifying what researchers would call the religious nuns n-o-n-e-s meaning that they have no religion not only are they no longer christian not only do they no longer believe in our judeo-christian framework but they have no religious context whatsoever and as we look at this it begs us asking the question why And I've come to understand that one of the biggest reasons why people leave the faith is because of pain. Would you write that down? One of the biggest reasons people leave the faith or no longer believe in God is because of pain. Something happened in my life that hurt me and I attributed it to my belief about God. There was something in my life that hurt me, that caused me some level of grief, of trauma, something that I did not expect in life. And because that happened, that changed or distorted or erased my view of God. People got to a point where they said, my pain and my faith are no longer compatible. A lot of times, the reason why people leave the faith, and sometimes there are folks who don't leave the faith, but they just leave the church. How many people know somebody that's like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I don't belong to a church, but I I, I meditate, I, I pray. I have aborted uh, the belief in uh, in, in a way to God, and I more so just approach that, that there is something spiritual. I just don't engage in what the Bible believes about it, right? A lot of times, that's because they got to a point where their pain and their faith were no longer compatible. This idea that I'm hurt and I'm angry or something has happened to me made them feel like if this is what God is, I don't really want it. If faith hurts like this, then I need to go do something else when it comes to faith. And there are many people who have abandoned their faith as a defense mechanism to protect them from pain. I was hurt so bad in that church, I had to leave that church to try to figure out if I could ever not hurt. So many people leave faith because of pain. That's just intro. One of those facets of pain is church hurt. Everybody say church hurt. Church Church hurt. Very simple definition. It's being hurt. In the church, okay, I know that's super deep, just stay with me, all right? Church hurt is very it's very deep, right? There's a lot of Greek, a lot of Hebrew, a lot of Latin, a lot of philosophy. I just I know, just stay with me. It is the process of the experience of being hurt in the context of the church, which gets attributed as I was hurt not in church, but I was hurt by church. Everybody get that? When when I get hurt in the context of the church, what happens is I walk away feeling not that I got hurt. In church. No, no, no. I got hurt by the church, which means that eventually what that does to my faith is it tells me I got hurt by God. Okay. Church hurt is interesting because um, I, was refer- I was looking at some stuff uh, with the rapper Jay Z. And Jay Z cites that this is his reason to this day for not being a Christian because there was someone in his family who was a devout follower, possibly even in ministry, who was involved in the rape of one of his close either sisters or cousins. And because he experienced that at a young age, he says, if this is who God is, I want no part of it. And if we cycle through people's stories of why they don't believe in God, I guarantee you, 9 times out of 10, it is not because of uh, some sort of academic reason I find more people. It's not necessarily the people, you know, don't believe in the whole uh, two of every animal in the ark type situation. And, you know, how did a, How did a man die? And then three days later, just magically get back up. Right. I think there are people who, who struggle with the mental, conceptual, like intellectual part of it. But more so than that, the people who struggle with. I cannot distinguish God from the people who presented him to me. It's going to be super important. A lot of people give up on faith because they get to the point where I can't distinguish God from the people that represented God. So if the people who represented God wasn't nothing, I think God wasn't nothing. If the church that was supposed to teach me God was full of corruption, I'm going to believe that God is full of corruption. If the people in the church Are Always obsessing over who I am and what I do wrong and what I'm not and always hanging stuff over my head. I'm going to believe that that's who God is. And as that hurt builds up, what it communicates is faith is either one of two things. It's either not real. Or it's not worth it. I want you to write that down in your notes. The two objectives of the enemy through hurt and through pain is to get us to believe that faith is either not real that God stuff ain't nothing. All that preaching and that tithing and that that ain't nothing. All that love they preach about ain't nothing. Or it's not worth it. Are you with me so far? Now, the interesting thing to deal with this is that I believe the church hurt is valid. It comes in all forms, right? Sometimes it could be as simple as somebody showing up and they go, the first day I showed up, the mother of the church told me I ain't had no stockings on. And then they then they just leave. They're just like, I ain't never coming back to church. Right. I'm not sharing that to trivialize it. That can be a daunting thing. Right. If the first thing you're greeted with when you come into church is what's wrong with you, instead of somebody celebrating the fact that you decided to come to church. um, That can definitely put a damper and put um, a darkening upon the perception of God and his people. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum comes when you see things like abuse from people in power, abuse of money, abuse of people, abuse of power. Sometimes it's interpersonal conflict. You get super close to somebody in church and you're super excited. You're like, yo, this is my family. This is my sister in Christ, my brother in Christ. And the first time, how many of you know that there is no stronger betrayal than when you experience it in church? And this is something different about when you for the first time experience your brother or sister do something um, that 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 is triggering or that is spiteful or that that moves you in the wrong way. That's a different level of pain. Sometimes church hurt can come in the form of unfair, unclear or unexplained rules. It's like, look, I just left rules and nobody wants to people. Sometimes we want to. Oh, here it is. Wow. Sometimes we want to discipline people before we've discipled them. We want to discipline people for what they don't do before we've discipled them, before we've empowered them with the tools to become all of our rules. The first thing we want to do is you ain't doing this. You should have been doing this. And he like, but, but, but have we discipled them first? Have I found out your story? Have I loved you? Have I, but I don't have a lot of time to spend there. Here's the whole point of all this. A lot of church hurt, which is the context for my message I'm going to give to you for the next 30 minutes. A lot of church hurt begins as home hurt. Would not you write that down? A lot of church hurt begins as home hurt. Why? Because the first place you learn God is not the church. I'm going to say it again. The first place you learn God is not these four walls. By the time Er one of us joined here, we all already had a formation in our minds about who God was. Before we heard Bishop preach, before we joined the choir, before we got a position, Before we walked down the aisle and and before we rolled in the floor and spoke in tongues. Before they greased us down in oil like we was about to go into the rotisserie. We had a view of God. We had some sort of framework. Some sort of understanding. Some uh, uh, sort of of, uh, caption that we had written on our image of God. Where do you think it came from? It came from home. And what I want to argue to you, or not argue to you, what I want to present biblically is that the first place we learn God is our parents. And many of us carry harmful beliefs about God to this day because of some type of hurt caused by our parents. So we are still believing things about God because of the ways that our parents were. And it's preventing our faith. We are approaching God like God is our parents. When God is God. So many times there's a direct correlation between what I experienced with my parents growing up. And how I'm trained to think about God as I get older because of those experiences. Is that making sense so far? The way you see God, this is the whole point. The way you see God often begins with and is most impacted by the way you see or experience your parents. I'm going to say that one more time. The way you see God often begins with and is most impacted by the way you see or experience your parents. In short, I like to put it this way, which was the whole reason why God began to deal with me about this. Because it's Father's Day, I'll use this, but it applies to both parents. Daddy issues lead to God issues. The purpose of this message is to get us to find healing that will enable us to separate our view of God from our view of our parents so that we can see God more fully for who God is. Because there are times in our lives where God is sitting up saying, you punishing me for stuff that ain't me. Or you're limited in what I can do in your life because you don't believe in my power because of how they were to you. And there are many people who to this day don't experience the fullness of the love of God. Because of a strained relationship with parents. The Bible is clear that wickedness and or generational blessing have a lot to do with who comes before us. I'll give you a great example. Paul says to Timothy that the anointing that you have for ministry, the anointing that you have and the love of God that you have started first with who? Your mother and your grandmother, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Paul says that, look, Timothy, you've been preaching good. I've been mentoring you, but we got to acknowledge that this didn't start with you. This started because you had really great faithful parents and they passed on this legacy to you. But the Bible is also clear that the same works from a generational curse perspective. It's a passion in the Bible where God says that I will uh, that that God will account the sins of the fathers. Generations and generations upon the sons, because there's this idea that what I interact with from my family perspective has an influence on how I see God. Now, the word to parents is this. What I've learned from my parents is that when you're leading something, people don't do what you say. They do what they see you do. And I'm saying this again. I'm not preaching this as a father. That's not my seat in life quite yet. And just so we're clear, it ain't going to be for a minute, okay? Brother said, that's what we all say. (laughs) But as a son, I've realized that my parents have said a lot to me over the course of my life. They say a lot, like they say a lot. And I remember what they say. But you know what has snuck up on me? Is what they've done. You know what is quite annoying, actually, if I'm being honest? The stuff I used to laugh that my dad does. I'll be looking out of nowhere, like, "Why am I doing this?" And it'll, like, it'll hit. Like, my dad does this very, very, very weird thing. I'm going to use this chair as an example because it is going to show, like, literally. This is literally what my dad does, and, and it and it's so annoying to me. My dad comes from downstairs, and this chair will be down here, and, and he'll just walk up and. He'll do this whole thing where he just hangs over the seat like this for no reason. And it's like, if you're coming to engage, would you like to have a seat? But you know, And he just, he'll stand there and say there, uh, so uh, what, what are y'all doing? And I used to think it was like the weirdest thing in my life. And fam, about four or five months ago, my mother was in the living room and I came from my room and I did just like this. So mama, what you, and when I realized what I I was like, the blood of Jesus, I will not, I will not watch this. You will become even the things you hate. If that's all you've seen, write that down. You will become even the things you hate. If that's all you've seen, the word for parents is this. There are some folks who are trying to preach their children into everything. And I think I speak on behalf of children everywhere when I say that we don't need another sermon. Whenever you go into preach mode, we immediately we immediately just tune you out, just so you know. <laughs> as soon as you start preaching, we change the channel. we be like, ooh, VH1 sounds great right now. <laughs> you on TV and I ain't trying to watch TV and you trying to preach to me. I'm going to check out. But when you mirror to them what it is you desire for them to become, they have no choice but to become it because they've watched you be it. I'm telling you what I've experienced. I have had to become even the things I thought I'd never be because they were modeled to me. I was watching my mom do an event two months ago. And as I watched her do it, I realized, oh, my word. Everything I do is because this woman did it. Everything I did my mom was directing, she founded the gospel choir at Biola University. So when I look at my life and you know, I was directed at USC, um, left from there and probably a year after SC, joined here and all the stuff we've done now, recording and touring. My mom's done all that. She never said to me, hey Princeton, you should direct the choir. She never said, hey you should record. What she did was she modeled her life after who God had called her to be. And because that image was projected back to me, I had no choice but to become what I saw. So the first question we must ask is, are you the living image of what you desire your children to be? And if you desire them to change, maybe the investment is not telling them to change, but for you to go on the journey first. If you want your child to be in therapy, maybe it's a healthy consideration for you to start first. And that is the way that we disciple people. I don't tell them you need to be saved. I project what Christ should look like until they become curious about what they see. And then as they desire to mirror back to me what they see, they have to go through God to do that. We become what we see now. I want to ask you, what did you see growing up in your parents? And how has that influenced the way you see God? I you to interrogate, what did you see? What types of parents did you have? And are you carrying those views into how you see God? Sometimes it is possible to have a controlling parent. The response to a controlling parent that most of us know who might have been under that situation, is that you believe that there is no room for you to be an individual and maintain relationship. So you abandon the relationship in search of freedom. If you have a controlling parent, then the idea is you walk away believing that the only way for me to be an individual is to not have a relationship with you. Don't raise your hand But how many of us left as soon as we could. Don't raise your hand. It's okay. Just, Just look around. Just look around. Just look around. Because we was like, look, I cannot wait to be away from you. And because you were so controlling, let me tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to call you on holidays (laughs) for your birthday. We're going to hang out. But I'm going to college in Germany. And then I'm going to live in New York after. (laughs) The way this influences your relationship with God is that then you start to come into faith, believing that there's no room for you to understand the fullness of who you are that in order for you to somehow be a whole person, you need to do it without God. So because my parents were controlling, I think that all God wants to do is manipulate every decision. The problem with that is it goes against what I know about God because I was created with the power to decide. I was created with a free will that God hoped and believed I would use for his glory. Sometimes we experience a criticizing parent Criticizing parents create shameful children. How many of us grew up in context where every, God, why that dress like that? God, why your hair not done? Why you say that? Get out of grown folks business. Why'd you do that? I just, like every, everything was a critique. And then when you did your best, it was critiqued why it wasn't better than your best. You had a D all semester long. You finally got it to a B and they said, well, why didn't you get that? A?" We get A's in this house. It's a criticizing parent. Criticizing parent will create shameful children. Criticizing context, criticizing parents will create shameful faith. Because now I think that God doesn't love me every time I don't measure up. So I come into my relationship with God... Afraid to do anything, afraid to be anything less than perfect, because I know that, that 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 God is not loving me and encouraging me to be my best. He's nitpicking every small thing along the way. Sometimes we might have grown up in contexts where there were absent parents. Two things. Absent parents can create absent faith. Why? Because. I had. To grow this defense that this particular person promised that they were going to be different. They promised that they were going to show up, particularly if you have someone who was in and out of your life. Right. They would like show up for one particular day so they could get points for being there and then move back to their other life. And in the event that they were absent, what that does to your faith is a couple things. One, it makes it it makes it absent. Like God just don't exist. You know, people that just don't even believe in the concept of marriage anymore because their parents' marriage. The are people who who don't even believe in the concept of there being a good father because their father was not present. That's what happens to your faith in God. If I might have come through a context where something was absent, then I'm going to believe that God is absent. And so when the preacher tells me about trusting God, God is always there. My mind immediately goes back to uh mine were not. The first image I had to show me who and who God is and what God is like were not present. So I have a hard time believing. Oh my whoa, 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 whoa. Here it is. If something in my life that was visible didn't work out, how do you expect me to believe in what's invisible? If people I can touch and call and hug and hold, let me, how do you expect me to believe somebody I can't touch, somebody I can't trace, somebody who does not respond audibly all the time? How do you expect me to believe that that person is for me when I've experienced absence from people who I can't touch? It creates absent faith. The other side of it, it is what happens is a lot of times if we've experienced absent uh, exchanges in our life from our parents, what happens is this. We never settle into anything good because we're always certain that it's going to go away. So the moment a relationship is good, you're like, I know you about to leave. So let me mess this up first. The moment a job, yes, self-sabotage. The moment that a, that a job starts to get really good, you start flowing in your purpose, you find a reason to start underperforming. You start showing up late, you start missing stuff because the idea is this is too good to be true. So what I'm going to do to defend myself, to set myself up because I know it's about to end. I'm going to remove myself before you can get out of my life. And what that does to your faith is God will be trying to bless you because God is Abba Father. And God's like, I want you to have this and I want you to have this and I want you to have this. Because when you're blessed, it brings me glory. And God will be blessing and you'll be just getting out the way. God be like, why you keep dodging to the I'm trying to bless you with? Too good to be true. Not going to last. Can't trust it. Why? Because absent parents can create absent faith. Why? That that lack of faith is nothing more than a defense. I can't afford to be hurt again. I can't afford to reconfront the pain of when y'all left the first time. So if that means I have to say no to every blessing that God has assigned to protect myself from being hurt again, then I'll just say no to God. One last one. No, a couple more. Some of us experience a present parent, but a neglectful one. I think that's one a little harder to deal with. When they live with you, but they're not available to talk. They like in the house, but they are all like they they built a career over you. Some of us, a lot of my friends. Oh my goodness, so many of my friends who I grew up with and had to counsel with because they lived through their parents. Pursuing a dating relationship over the well-being of the child. I have friends who experienced sexual assault at the hands of the person being dated. And their biological parent did not believe them and defended the person they were dating. Because they were that uncomfortable being alone. That's a different level of trauma. It is when you have a present but neglectful parent. Watch this. Here's what that does to your faith. It makes you go to God and say, you exist. You just don't care about me. I don't doubt that you're real. I just don't think you love me. So that's why I watch them be blessed and them be blessed and them be blessed and her be blessed and him be blessed and be like, makes sense. God love you. He don't love me. And then what happens is when I believe that he exists but doesn't care about me, it affects my prayer life. I didn't even go through how all these things affect your spiritual disciplines. For example, one of the ways that it will affect your spiritual disciplines, if you grew up under a critical context, like where your, your parents are super critical and it made you shameful and you bring that to how you view God, the biggest place that affects is your worship because now you come into the presence of God focused on what's wrong with you instead of what's right with him and so when we're doing this whole thing where lift your hands and spend time with god and whatever whatever because you don't believe that god loves you like he's critiquing everything you won't lift your hands like you want to but what's going on in your mind is and you know what you was doing last night you know what you did last week you know it's been a minute since you've been in church you know they all judging you right because you don't praise the way they praise and everybody know you ain't been here a minute i don't even know why you came today like so you just don't participate and it causes this disengagement, right? The thing with present uh, but neglectful, what that does to our faith, is that it will cause you to grow up just believing that you just shouldn't pray. Why ask God for anything? He dared, but he ain't going to answer. Right? There's a lot of scriptures. I don't have time to go through them. But if you'll write down Job 21, verse 7 through 13. And I'm going to turn a corner here and we're going to move to the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. I'm giving you examples because sometimes um, I want you to know that all of these feelings are valid. They're valid. I'm going to show you how we move and heal from them. But I want you to know they're valid because what the enemy wants you to do is to believe that you're unaffected by this. (laughs) Or to believe that there's no hope for you, but there is hope. But I want to give you these scriptures because these are examples of people asking that question like look. How long will people who are wicked have a better life than the people who are trying to serve God? Like that's in the Bible. It ain't just though he slayed me yet will I trust him. It's hold on, God. This don't make no sense to me, bro. The last one is if you grew up under overachieving parents. This idea that they only celebrate what you do well. So now you start to think that your value is based on achievement. There are some people today that have these amazing houses and these incredible jobs, and this whole family, not based on purpose, but because they were taught that you only matter when you overachieve. And so they're in a rat race to matter. Be are like, why are you working so hard? Because they have to matter. I was raised to believe that I am most viable when I'm making other people proud. So if I don't have another ring on my achievement ladder, then I'm not worth nothing. Here's the impact that has on your faith. It will cause you to develop a works-based relationship with God. And now you're not working for God because you love God. You're working for God trying to get points. Okay, God, how long do I have to pray today for you to be proud of me? God's like, can we pray because you want to talk to me? Is that a thing? Can we do that? Watch this. God would rather have five honest minutes than an hour of performance. God would get more glory if you said, Lord, I love you. Help me. Have your way. Admit it from the bottom of your heart that if you spoke in tongues for an hour just so you could say you did. God's like, look, you and all that stuttering you doing, just go to sleep. Try again in the morning when it's coming from a real place. And you know what place is coming from because how you feel after is different. When you go before God the right way, you be feeling wrecked. You'd be feeling like your whole inside just came out and you just spilled it. When you go before God trying to achieve, you wake up feeling achieved. You come out of prayer like, oh, I just touched him. Girl, listen, I've been in prayer all week this week, honey. I just, oh, would you like a cookie? Like, Congratulations. I have to pivot here and share this with you, okay? I want to give you seven very quick ways that God is different from your parents, okay? Now, there are some amazing parents, and, 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 and many of our parents were, were amazing. And I, I still believe, I still believe this, that parents do the best that they can. And I'm going to have a fun time re-listening and watching to this when it's my turn. And I'll probably be like, look at you in your little blue shirt. Talking about parents. Look at you, little twenty-five year really... old. The anointing of God is, is on this word. What's so important is that we look at the ways that God is different from. Different from whatever has left you, whatever was the last place you stopped believing in God. Whoever was the last person, sometimes it's not a it's not a, a parent, sometimes it's a boss. Sometimes it's an ex. Sometimes it's a friend, a brother or a sister. That makes you think, yo, if you did this, God must not be real. I want to give you seven things that we know about God. Seven things that we know about God. And I'm going to give them to you quickly so that I can wrap up. Seven things we know about God that prove that God is different. And so if you have somehow stopped believing, this is the reason why what Paul says in Romans 8 is so important. What Paul says in Romans 8 is he says, listen, you've got to make sure that you're living out of the spirit, not the flesh. But I think it's interesting that right after he talks about that, he says that we have received the spirit of adoption. Which means that I can't really even do this holiness thing right until I accept that God is my father. I can't even really walk out holiness right until I receive the love of God as father first. If I just approach God as my judge, then I'm going to be doing everything out of fear. But if I approach God as my father, that's going to give me a whole new lease on life. That's going to make me go back and be like, yo, I can't wait to pray. I can't wait to get in worship. I can't wait to read my word. Do you know my father left me a whole book to explain to me who God is and, 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 and the fullness of God's nature. I can't wait to get in this thing. Get off my phone. I got to go home and deal with God. When, when, when you've received God as Abba Father, when you've re- received that spirit of, of sonship and of daughtership on the inside, it makes you approach this whole thing differently. And so I don't want you to live the rest of your life as though you are orphaned in your faith. I don't want you to not let God do what God wants to do in your life because you feel like he's not for you. I don't want you to be in a place where you are missing God and God's power, where you're not trusting God, where you're not receiving all that God has for you because there was some point where somebody let you down. I'm here to tell you this one scripture is going to be our turning point Write down. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 numbers, chapter 23, verse 19 numbers, chapter 23, verse 19. And here's what it says. It says that God is not a man. That's more powerful than you understand. God is not a man that is the beginning of me getting into a different place of faith God ain't people and I just wish that there was like 700,000 people across the world who got this revelation in their heart God is bigger than the people who've hurt me God is bigger bigger than my parents watch this my parents might have been my first introduction to God but my parents were not God My parents may have been my first introduction to God, but my parents were not God. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should ever repent. God's not man. God exists in a whole category by himself. Well, what does that mean? I'm gonna give you these seven things and we're gonna go home. Number one, seven ways God is different from our parents and we're gone. Number one, God functions as the best mother and father. Okay, that's number one. Bishop has taught us this, which is the reason why I'm not going to stay here. We use the pronoun he to describe God, but God is not a man. Does that make sense? God is not me sitting on a throne with my anatomy and my genetic makeup. The Bible says in John chapter 4 that God is a spirit so when we use pronouns to describe God, it is more so about this idea of us trying to make God personal. But we have to be careful that we are not making God us in our understanding of God. What I'm trying to do as a preacher is get more in the habit of calling God God as opposed to always attaching the pronoun he. He. Here's why I'm setting that up, because in Psalm 27 and 10, right, Bishop has taught us this. Bishop has taught us that the same words in the Hebrew language that are used to describe God in these um, sort of masculine tonalities, there are also words in the Hebrew language that do the opposite in the feminine, right? God is also called El Shaddai. Bishop taught us this a long time ago. El Shaddai means the breasted one, right? So God is the best mother and father. In Psalm 27 verse 10, David says this. When my father and mother forsake me, and forsake doesn't just mean abandon. When they miss the mark, whatever it was that they missed, if they missed anything, whatever it was, he says, then the Lord will take me up. Psalm 27 and 10. When my mother and father miss the mark, then the Lord, God who is God, will take me up. So the first difference is God functions as the best mother and father, Right? So wherever either one of them dropped off, God is all. Because God is God. Number two, God is eternal. God is not bound by time. So that's the reason why we experience a lot of those things that I mentioned is because how many, <laughs> how many folks grew up in context where parents were just like, I don't have time. I don't have time. And then, I'll take us to a different one. How many of us feel like that right now? Whether you got kids or don't get used to be like, I ain't got time. I'd be saying that, and all I got is a couple of uh, Tupperware dishes at the house to be responsible for. (laughs) I ain't even got real responsibilities, and I'd be like, a brother ain't got time. God is eternal, and he's infinite. God is eternal, and God is infinite. Meaning that God is not bound by time. Number three. God is omniscient, O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T. God is omniscient. That means that God knows all. Do you know why none of us will ever be perfect in anything that we do? Because we all know everything. This is one of the biggest misconceptions about people who try to do life without without God. It's not to say that you won't have success. There are plenty of people who have achieved success and are not believers. But there has to be a point where you reckon that, look, I, I don't know all it takes to be all I'm supposed to be. That's why That's why I'm going to be an imperfect husband one day. Because I'm, I'm not going to know all that my future wife needs. Let's just praise God for her in advance. Whoever she is, we receive her now. I going to know all that she needs so I'm going to fall short which is why the best thing I can do in this single season is to get acquainted with God because he's going to know everything she needs and he is going to be to her first so that I can be a subset, somebody who's under God Because God is the only one who knows all. This is why it's very difficult for me to understand how people manage without God. (laughs) It's hard for me to get people who parent without God who be like, I don't need God. Okay, great. That's because you think you know it all. I'll be knowing. I don't know what you're supposed to do in life. I don't know your temperament. I don't know what you're about to do through this whole 10 through 13 phase. I don't know who you're dating. I, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what was behind that last decision. But God knows everything. That's why God is so wise, because with the information that he has, God always makes the best choice. You know why we don't make the best choice? Because we move on limited information. That's why we always say that what hindsight is 2020. If I knew then what I knew now, God never has that because he already knows the then in the now. Oh, God, that's good. I wish you heard that. God already knows the then in the now, which is why God always makes the perfect decision. I don't have time. Four, God is omnipresent. I don't care how super mom or super dad somebody is in our life. They just can't be everywhere. Especially if they're most, I don't know how my parents did it. I was preaching three weekends out of every month. And then my brother would be in a stage play in Hollywood for like six weeks. And my sainted mother, God bless her heart, would like not miss anything. Like we, we just never missed rehearsal. We went everywhere and we, you know, still had time. I just don't get it. But even then, there are limits around where they can be. There are limits around like, look, I can't be here and there and there, whatever. God is I'm not present. He's everywhere. So even if you have felt abandoned, David says, I wish I pulled the scripture. David said, look, if I make my bed all the way down there in hell, you'll know I'm there too that there is no sense of running. There's no sense of being able to move apart from and away from the sovereignty and the power and the presence of God. I wish you'd hear that, that no matter how dark life gets, no matter where you go, no matter who abandons you, no matter which friend said they would be with you always and don't stay, no matter where you go in life, God, the God that you serve, is an omnipresent God. God says, if you're in grief, I'm there too. If you get a new job, I'm there too. You decide to move out the country, I'm there too. And just when you think you ran away from me. Don't forget, I'm there too. God is omnipresent. Number five, God is omnipotent. That's how you would spell that. We, we would say omnipotent, but the word is omnipotent. So omniscient means all seeing, all knowing. Omnipresent means everywhere. But number five, God is omnipotent. Potent refers to potency. If something is potent, uh, if the... <laughs> If the weed is strong, it's potent, right? <laughs> because the weed is powerful. Oh, y'all got real saved. Y'all got shook. Y'all should have seen, should have seen like 19 of y'all clincher pros. It's okay. Some of, some of y'all know about the indica. Don't play. It's all right. You know, you know, where your whole day is taken. You just, well, Lord, we just gonna sit here the rest of the day on this here couch and contemplate what it means to, <laughs> anyway. Potency, first to strength, power. God is omni. God possesses all power. There are sometimes where the people in our lives hurt us, not because they wanted to hurt us, but because they literally did not possess the power to do so. There are a lot of people that were well-intended and just did not have the resource to help us. Sometimes our family members, no matter who they might be, are very well-intended. But ain't nobody ever healed from this before? So sometimes we expect people who never healed from it to all of a sudden teach us how to be healed. Girl, how are we going to help you? All of us just dealt with it. you the first one to actually want to move. Well, look, we can tell you how to survive, but if you're trying to move on and and, and heal, you, you know, we can pray. Let's speak in tongues. But God never has that. There's never going to be a point where you go to God and God says, hey, fam, I ain't got it. He's be, hey, let me let me hold $10 for offering. Hey, I ain't got it. The way you used to say it growing up, we used to be like, everybody ain't able. <laughs> Everybody ain't able. Man. Hey, listen, hey, let me just get two cups of sugar. Hey, listen, everybody ain't able, all right? We got to God will never do that to you. God will never allow you to approach God and and his response be to you. That's a little we don't have time for this. Okay. There's this moment. I don't know if y'all have seen that meme of the guy who's uh working the register at that hotel. And the lady had called him a racist slur on the phone, and then she comes in and he says, That's above me now. So look, God would never say that to you because God is as high as it gets. Who that's better than you understand? God could never say, like, that's above me now, because what's above God? <laughs> if God says that's above me, there just ain't no hope. Like, because God is high. God is omnipotent. There's never gonna be a point where you come to God and God's like, sorry. Last two, number six. God had an identity before God had you. God never leads you out of mistaken identity. Before God had you, God knew who God was. And the reason why we all fall short, the reason why we all hurt people is because I'm trying to love you and learn me at the same time. So I'm going to mess up. I didn't know I was going to snap at you like that. I'm learning me along the way. I'll be like, ooh, Princeton, you sure did turn up. I guess that really makes you upset, Princeton, doesn't it? I'm trying to love you and learn me. When we're doing marriage, when we're, and look, fam, even in ministry, I'm trying to lead you and learn me. So we just better sign the contract that we learning together, okay? <laughs> look. I got a lot to learn. I'm in the beginning of this thing. I've been in ministry 20, more than 20 years already. And I I still have to wrestle with the fact that this is just, like God is literally just getting started. It's going to be a lot of learning. And as you're learning, you will hurt people. As people are learning, they will hurt you. But God already knows everything there is to know about God's self. So God's not trying to make you who God wasn't in high school. God's not trying to get you to play football because God wished he had have played. God's not trying to get you to go to the school that God was rejected from. God knew who God was before God brought you into the world. And God's greatest purpose is to bring you in. his. Everybody stand as I give you number seven. Thank you for being so patient. I wanted to speak to your heart this morning. I'll probably do a little bit more yelling and screaming at 1030. That'll be a lot of fun. But I wanted to speak to your heart. Number seven is this. Our parents practice love, but God is love. All the people that we're in relationship with, they practice love, but God is love. My hope in this message is that whatever ideas you've projected onto God because of how people hurt you. This is the season for you to relearn who God is. Because fatherless faith will leave you not remembering. Here's the biggest thing. Fatherless faith leaves you not knowing how much God loves you. Lift your hands, everybody. I speak the love of God over every individual. It is hard to do faith not knowing love. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Bishop. Bishop preached this about four weeks ago. Faith even works by love. I can't have faith if I haven't first received love. How am I believing in a God that I don't think loves me? So I just speak the love of God. That anybody who's been struggling in their faith... Feeling like they don't deserve what God has, feeling like they're not going to the next level. Anybody who has given up on faith or church because of how they've been hurt by individuals, I just break that in the spirit right now. I cause there to be um, a mental and spiritual separation that we will process and heal from hurt, but we will also make sure that we are keeping in line who we know God to be in our hearts. People have messed up. They've been trifling. They have been weird, but they are people. They are finite. They got issues like all of us. And yesterday it was them hurting us. Tomorrow is. Don't be us hurting them. But God, that's not going to change what we know about you. Why? Because number 23 says that you are not man. You are not a man. You should lie. So I thank you. I receive just for these last few seconds. Just receive the love of God. Say, God, I know you love me. You love me and you are not people. You are God. God is not people. God is God. God is not my ex. God is God. God is not my mother or father. God is God. God is not my boss that fired me. God is God. God is not that person that made me feel insecure. God is God. God is not the person that bullied me. God is God. And if I can just get into the point where I cry out, Abba, Father. You know what Abba, Father means in the Greek? It means the Father. I might have many dads throughout my lifetime, but I have the Father, the Mother who reigns supreme over me and allows me to experience healing. I speak this blessing over you that you're going to move into a different place of your faith because you're gonna see God for who God is in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Come on, give God a great praise. Hey fam, I hope that blessed you. If you could do me the hugest favor um, and continue to like the podcast, subscribe. And if you could leave a review, that would be amazing uh, because I want other people to get to see and benefit from what you have benefited from. Last but not least, it means the world to me when you all reach out. And tell me about how these episodes have impacted you. And I want to hear about this one specifically. If this has been a part of the journey that you're going on, um, let me know. And if I can support in that, if you want to discuss more, uh, I I would love to, because this was something that was super liberating for me that I would get to know God and not charge God for the work of institutions and or people. And this is a, a major step. So Father, I pray right now for anybody who's in that journey that they would approach a season of healing. It takes so much deconstructing and so much processing, but I pray that that they find that and that they come to that point in their journey. And Lord, I thank you that you are the type of God that is patient, that is loving, that is merciful, that uh, is not sitting by judgmental or uh, beating people up for their pain, but you wait with an open heart, understanding and ready for reconciliation. Uh, you validate pain and then you heal it. Uh, And it's even pain that you didn't cause. And so we just, we thank you for being that God and being God who is available. And I thank you that you are not just available, but you will also reveal yourself. You will reveal who you are apart from these things. Should we open ourselves up to see you for who you really are? So Lord, I thank you and give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus name. And it is so. Love y'all so much. I really do. Uh, Keep in touch. I'll see you next time. And most importantly, I want to see you August 25th at Crusade Christian Faith Center. Love you. Take care. With God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building.